Hello, and welcome to the Digital Workspace Works podcast. I'm Ryan Purvis, your host, supported by our producer Heather Bicknell. In this series, you'll hear stories and opinions from experts in the field, stories from the front lines, the problems they face and how they solve them, the areas they're focused on from technology, people and processes, to the approaches they took that will help you to get to the scripts for the digital workspace inner workings. Going. Yeah, good news. Sorry, I'm just sort of using randomness that is teams. It still cannot get it fascinates me. It still cannot understand that I use certain audio devices in pairs. So I use the same audio device for listening and the same audio device for speaking. It's like speaker, it's like device roulette. What is <laughs> is there one that it, it keeps trying to default to? So, so, for example, if I connect my AirPods to this, then my expectation is when I start the call, it'll use the AirPods. But what it'll do rather is it'll mix up my speaker with my microphone or my laptop. Or it'll, if I haven't got my head, headphones connected, it will um, pick the Mac speakers with the speakerphone microphone or the speaker audio, uh, the speaker speaker, with the laptop microphone, but never the combination that is the speaker is the speaker and the microphone, because that's what the thing's designed for. Mm-hmm. And only Teams does this. Zoom, no problem. Google Chat, uh, Google whatever it's called, Hangouts, no problem. Yeah, I've had that in the past. It, it always wanted to connect to my external webcam, which technically had a microphone, but the audio that came through it, I guess, was super weird. So got in the habit of manually checking devices each time, uh, but that's no fun. <laughs> anyway, celebi. Um, so a couple things probably to chat about. Uh, one would be this acquisition um, by Microsoft of uh, Activision, um, which is interesting. Um, and then the other article that, that, you, that you sent me that one, that I sent you an article on remote work and the importance of writing. Um, so I don't know if you've had a chance to read that yet. Um, yeah. Um, but yeah. Why don't we start with Microsoft? I think we can. I don't have a. T- it is interesting, but I don't think it'll take us that long to talk about. But we'll see. Um, no. Uh, well, let's start with your thoughts first, if you have any, and then I can share what I think about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's the biggest acquisition in Microsoft history, so that's. Huge. Uh, what was it? 60 billion, something like that. Maybe it was 70 yeah, billion. 70. Um, I think it, it's interesting that they gave it a, a metaverse spin. And I think I've seen some game journalists be skeptical of that because, you know, at the end of the day, this is making Microsoft, I think, number three um, in gaming. There's obviously a lot. Of revenue to be gained by taking up the big titles and potential exclusivity for the Xbox, and that's obviously causing a lot of people, uh, a lot of gamers, to be unhappy with the thought that you know these big games could become um, Xbox exclusives. But I guess going back to more of the metaverse, which I think is more relevant to um, perhaps our show. I guess I, I can see where the metaverse tie-in is with games like 
World of Warcraft or even um, Call of Duty, any of these, like, you know, you're playing with other people online. There's an open world setting. I mean, it's kind of not too distant from Fortnite, right, in terms of the possibilities of how that um, aspect of the metaverse currently exists and could evolve. So that's really all my thoughts. <laughs> how about you? No, and, and, I, and I think a lot of that is very valid. Um, I, I think there was, you know, it, 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 it was an opportunistic purchase. Um, Activision, as great of a game provider it is, has had some huge issues around sexual discrimination and internal issues in the business. Um, I don't know much about that. I'm, I'm just reading what I read in the article. Um, but I think in, in some respects, it's about attention. Um, Microsoft wants as many eyeballs on their stuff as possible. And, and I think gaming is still a very nascent industry. Uh, and I say that, you know, tongue in cheek, if it's been around since the beginning uh, of computing. But I think esports and, and the like are growing so quickly that they've got to have uh, some of these big studios on their books because they want to own those eyes. Um, and they want to own those people, th th that attention into the workplace as well. Because, you know, if you look at the way applications have changed, um, there's more and more applications that are web-driven uh, and, and not requiring a desktop, per se. Um, so they need to find ways to get that attention elsewhere. And I think games is one of those places. Uh, and, it, and it's about getting the... Uh, it's all about, in some sense, it's about influence because a lot of a lot of gamers. I mean, there are adults that play games clearly, but most most kids play games, and it's almost building that trust at the lowest levels to take them into, um, you know, you just trust Microsoft with all your stuff. You buy, you know, you buy the Windows Surface, whatever it's going to be in the future. You you, you get on the desktop that's Windows driven or, or Microsoft driven, and you just trust that it's all going to work and all that stuff. Now. Practicality, all that stuff aside, um, I think that's that's the the goal. Uh, I think there's a long way to go to tile these things together. Um, but I think it's also about making the Xbox, uh, which they've been trying to do for years, the the entertainment, but also not just the entertainment hub of the household, but also the the workplace hub of the household. Because if you think about the spec of some of these machines, I mean, a PS Five and, and, and an Xbox. They're pretty highly spec machines. Um, there's nothing stopping you from hosting, if, if you had the access, a few virtual machines or a virtual desktop environment or anything like that um, to do stuff. And, and I wouldn't be surprised at some stage if the BYOD device you had in your, for, your, for your work was the same device you used for your games, was the same device you used for your movies and your, your entertainment. Um, but it's all Microsoft branded. So it's, only, it's, it's following the Apple model of owning the entire chain. So I think that's why this is interesting for me. I mean, it's a long way from let's see where it goes, but uh, that's the prediction. That's the prediction. That's very interesting. I, uh, by mind, immediately jumped to a situation where um, the parent's on a virtual meeting and the child really wants to play on the Xbox and they're fighting over the console. But but they don't have to. That's that's what I'm saying. Is that you could have if you if you look at the way the games are deployed now. So they moved away from drives to to downloading the games on a hard drive. The the they've had the streaming services for a while, and I mean Google had theirs for a while, which I think Stadia I think it's called. 
Um, all that stuff, you, you know, with 5G coming along, mm. your, 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 your delivery mechanism is, is so improved. Um, you know, you could give your kid a tablet, you know, be it Apple or whatever, and say, go play your game. Because it's, it's just going to go through the Xbox to the cloud. Yeah, I see um, your thing. So, so that's what I think is going to happen. And, and, if you, and, and then all the Xbox is really doing is facilitating this, the quality of service. So if it knows that you're playing Fortnite, for example, it's preloading that content on the drive and you're just connecting through the tool that you want to connect through, which would be whatever it is. So I, I'm very interested to see where they go with it, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Big acquisition, big move. Sorry, just, just one last thought on the metaverse piece. Um, I don't think it's the metaverse piece that everyone thinks it is with this acquisition. Mm. Um, I think it comes back to to that attention thing. And and again, there's, there's a lot of good – if you look at the quality of a game nowadays and how realistic it is, and you remember we talked about how you'd have your avatar and you'd join a meeting and all that kind of stuff. It's about having that capability in-house. So if you if you look at the old Xbox Connect product, which I still think then was probably five years ahead of its time, um, that was a can- that was a camera that picked up all your movements in order for you to play a game. Yeah. How far are you away really from having a, a scan of your body with that camera, joining a Teams meeting with your avatar picking your outfit? And sitting in your meet in your, at your desk, having a conversation using your Xbox and the camera. That is interesting. I haven't heard anyone talk about the connect in a connection to the metaverse, but I can definitely see how that could tie in um, with a lot of these avatars. If you only have like a, I think a normal camera. No, no. I think the ones I've seen. Sorry, the virtual meetings. I've seen have been ones with Oculus on. So you can see like really rudimentary hand movements because they have the controllers. But if you have a connect yeah. that's reading your movements, you're not wearing all this gear. Um, I could see how that would be a more um, comfortable virtual meeting experience. Look, it's, it's the one thing that I'm frustrated by now. Um, you know, I've got a, I've got a global team um, I'm noticing now that, that, that they're not using their cameras. Um, and and I've, to the point that I've ordered the cameras to use. And, and I'm really looking forward to getting back to going to a couple of face-to-face meetings and, and talking to people. And, and Because they are now, now that I've got into the flow with them, I'm feeling like this, that because we've been working so remote, they've got into bad habits and that's not their fault. Um, but in order to break out those habits, I feel like just having people around to talk about it and brainstorm would make those habits um, obvious and and we could as a group improve um, and maybe you know the option of having sort of a metaverse view would be close to doing that because I've got guys in India guys in the UK guys in the US uh, and potentially guys here in South Africa so I can't be in five places at once unless everyone's traveling together again which you know it's possibly going to happen soon you know looks like COVID's on its way out uh, at least as a serious virus, um, so we'll see. Well, you know, I think this. I think this is going to be a very, very exciting space. This metaverse concept. Yeah. No. Uh, totally. Very. Lots of potential there. Um, so, with the 
who want to talk about the importance of writing in the office or for work. Um, so I couldn't actually read. I only read the introduction because it's a economist uh, piece and I don't have a subscription. So I'll have to, you have to give me the rundown on what the gist of the, that article was. Don't, don't worry. I also only had the, uh, that version. Um, I, I, it was actually more when I read the headline and I started reading the thing, I was like, I had, I had a different interpretation. And, and the interpretation is, you know, as much as I use technology and I use technology as follows, I have a white, I have my iPad Pro, I have my Mac laptop, um, and I have my phone. And between those devices, I use um, various tools to get stuff done. And, and one of the habits that I've gotten myself into is I use my iPad um, as my as my note-taking app, uh, um, tool of choice. So I make all my notes on it, but I actually write things down and the rest of it inside of Apple Notes. And that's and that's working fairly well because I can have a meeting, I can open notes on any platform, I can see what we talked about, and, and I can sort of tie things together. What I've been noticing the last maybe two weeks is that I'm finding – the, the, as much as that stuff works for me, I'm finding when I have to do certain thinking that no matter how good my tools are, and, and my, my iPad has a special cover on it to make it feel like you're writing on paper, and you actually can't tell the difference, it does feel the same. But what I'm noticing is I still prefer to go and take a piece of paper, you know, an A4 and A3, go sit downstairs at the dining room table with a cup of coffee and just draw pictures and mind map it and, and all the rest of it. Um, and no tool, no technology has, has replaced that feeling of drawing something out, scrunching up the piece of paper and starting again. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, and I think what, 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 what this article was going to maybe lead into, or at least what I was getting into is that I still think there's a place for having your own time to sit and brainstorm, which I think we would lose if we went back to the old way of working. Mm. Why would we lose it? Because you're you feel more pressured to not well show that kind of work. Or? Well, well, I think so a couple of things. One, if you go back to the old ways of working, a lot of people commute. So, so now you're taking away an hour and a half, let's say two hours a day, sometimes three, on a commute. And you know, my commute back in the UK very different to the community here in South Africa, but you might be on a jam train, so you don't have the space to write. Um, you know, you, you're still on a track. You know, you, yes, you might be, you might get a table and you might get a chair and you can do, you can write, but you're still going to be distracted by all the people around you, the stop start of the train. You know, there's many things that put you off. Um, plus you in a, you know, even if you do the same route every day, it's still a, um, it's still a neutral environment. Whereas if you're sitting at home in your dining room table, you're comfortable, you're relaxed, you're secure, cup of coffee, your cup of coffee, you sit and do it. I think that allows the, the juices to flow. And, I, and I'm, you know, this is very subjective. Uh, some would say if you went to the same coffee shop every day, you probably would build that same routine. And I, and I think you could, you know, if it was outside your office and that. But so, so community would be one factor. Um, the other factor that I'm seeing, and well, what I think is, is relevant to this, if you're going into an office, you've got the pressures of getting to the office. So you always, you know, you're gearing yourself up to get there and, and there's a stress of arriving, et cetera. 
once you arrive in the office, there's so many people around and so many things to do and all the rest of it. That quiet time is very hard to get to, uh, or at least in most places I've worked worked in. Um, and then if when you're commuting back, you're, 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 that that exhaustion of commuting is building up. That exhaustion of being stimulated all the time and, and being vulnerable is building up. So by the end of the week, you're you're basically a blunt instrument, whereas you're a sharp instrument when you started the week. So I think there's got to be a balance. I'm not saying don't go to the office and you know, stuff. I, you know, I think there's a need for that. I think that's why hybrid working is what's going to happen. Uh, I did read a stat somewhere that um, it's going to move from 70% in the office to 30% in the office. That's going to be the the workforce sort of um, ratio. Um, and I think it, and I think it's these things that that'll play a part in it. You know, also. When you're working from home and you can plan it and the rest of it, if something happens with your kids, you know, you're not miles away to sort that out. So that's that's a, that's a big factor. Um, and as I say, you're saving time, which means you t- you should be healthier. I mean, I don't think we should be working the extra time that you're getting. You should be doing the you know healthy stuff, going for a walk, um, stretching, all those sorts of things um, to get the best value. So so I think and I think writing. Is, is a therapeutic thing as well. I think being able to write on a piece of paper and and see that you start, you know, at the top and you get to the bottom and you can and you can visibly visibly see the start and the end. It's like a feedback loop that makes you feel like you're accomplishing something. And I sometimes mm. feel using the technology. Sorry, my last point before you can so you can weigh in. That technology of like like an Apple Notes page, you can just keep scrolling and scrolling and scrolling, and you never feel like you finished capturing things. Um, I still take pictures of all my notes on paper, so I don't lose it digitally. But but it's just you know it's just something I've observed. So, so I went and bought out of out of my bag. I grabbed my old little A5 notebook, and I've been making notes in this now as a way of of testing the theory um, or post-it notes. So I've gone back to those two things, but they all go back into Apple Notes. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot lot back there, but. Um... I've never tried the digital, like handwritten digital notes personally. I think um, one thing I remember even in college, uh, I was a creative writing major and there were people in my classes who would write their pieces. If it was like a uh, more long form, like a short story or something, I would type it. But if it was a shorter piece, I would handwrite it first and then retype it. And I couldn't get, um, I couldn't understand my classmates who would go straight to like typing out a poem. Like that was just so, it felt so wrong to me to not have like the raw um, crossing out of words and changing things around, like kind of having the whole thing that you wrote the first time and then having to physically go back uh, and kind of iterate on it. Um, So I've always been a pen and paper person. um, And I still do that for my notes um, for work. And I think there is something about, I like what you said about kind of uh, filling up the page. Mm-hmm. Def- definitely. There, there is a tactile response. If you if you want to memorize something or have a good recall on it, uh, you need that you need that tactile response. Um, there was a study that was done on that, and, and, and there is uh, – I'll have to see if I can find it, but, but there is evidence that that is a bit, the best way to go. They did, a, they did a study between people taking notes on a laptop versus people taking notes on pen and paper. And the, the, the recall rate was greater on the people making notes of pen and paper. And the interesting thing about this, and my, my handwriting is, is shocking. I mean, I'm left-handed. 
Um, I have ADHD. I um, might even be dyslexic to some extent. So you can't read what I write. It looks like a spider's crawled across the page. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the interesting things I found in that is even if the notes are not legible, your brain is still recalling what you've written because it's 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 re- it's a reinforcement thing. And if you want to memorize anything, and, and I'm not an expert in this, but it's all about engaging your senses. And one of those things is is the tactile response. The other thing is is smell and music. Um, they all help you to uh, to learn. Um, and it doesn't have to be classical music. Uh, the key thing is the music mustn't have words. Uh, that, that's that's mm. the big thing. Um, yeah, no, that, I mean, that resonates with me. That's another thing. I'm, I'm always jealous of the people who can listen to music uh, or podcasts while they work because I've tried stuff like that and I end up just tuning out the, um, the sounds. <laughs> like my brain just shuts it off well, so I can work. Well, I'm, I'm the same. I mean, if, if I'm doing just like organizational work, like I'm sorting things out and stuff, I'll listen to podcasts. But if I want to do thinking, like on my whiteboard or something or whatever, then it'll, it'll be some soundtrack. It's specifically a soundtrack I've heard a lot. Mm-hmm. So you almost you almost don't care about the soundtrack. Um, but it, it's a good, you know, so if I'm writing something, like if I'm writing an article or something like that, I use a certain album. If I'm planning something, I use a different album. And you know, it's those sorts of things. So it almost tunes your brain when they hear this trigger. Same as when I meditate, I only meditate with the same, the same app, the same sound. Um, so it almost the brain hears it and knows that this is the time to, to meditate. Yeah. Yeah. It's not some like new stimulus. Um, and then the other thing that was interesting to me, um, in what you said, and I don't know if this will land with people or not, but it made me think of, there's a, um, famous piece by the writer Virginia Woolf, uh, A Room of One's Own. And I haven't really thought about that in terms of like our modern need for deep work. Um, but, you know, it's one of the um, points in the piece is that in order to kind of produce great works of uh, written art, you need to have like certain um, human conditions met. That means, you know, a space to do it. Um, the, you know, the time, uh, free from distractions, um, which I just thought was interesting and, and kind of it reminded, it sounded similar to how you were talking about, um, you know, some of the advantages of uh, working remotely and not having, not having the commute, not having a noisy office space that, that would put you more in a deep work mindset. Yeah. And I think this comes down to um, who people are and, and what their preferences are. Um mm-hmm. I, I like to have calls and meetings in the afternoon and I like my morning to be pretty pretty light and pretty open. So I you know, go to gym, I do whatever it is to do, and then, and then I try and think about – and I'm thinking about stuff while I'm doing that. I go for, you know, walk and a, and a run and, and all that sort of stuff. And then I normally come back and I do an hour of putting that into, into action. Um, I don't even check my email till, till sort of 11 o'clock in the day. Um, which is which is important. Unless I mean, I do sometimes scan looking for something critical because of of time zones and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I'm usually just looking to execute on things by the time I get back because now I've thought about them and I've got the impulses coming to oh I need to do this don't forget that that sort of thing. Um, so so my that that's how I get the deep work in. And some some nights you know kids are not related. I get up at like three o'clock in the morning 
and I'll work for like three hours on something. Um, and I mean, it sounds it sounds ridiculous because you actually are exhausted by the time it gets to like 5 a.m. because now you should have been sleeping those three hours. So, so I have to nap in that uh, to start the day again at seven. Um, but that sets up the day. Like I've, I've accomplished this major thing and it's usually driven by, you know, I've got to get this thing done. So I know So my body will wake me up to get it done. Um, but, but having that quietness and, and it's not quiet for me because I'm actually, you know, I've got like a Netflix series on in the background on my headphones and I'm, I'm ignoring that while I'm working. Um, it's, is that deep work thing. And, and I don't think you need it every day of the week. I think, I think two times a week is fine. You know, if you can get one or two hours in, uh, I think that for, for most jobs would set you up to be very successful that week. Uh, there was actually a very good book called, I think it's called 12 Weeks. Um, and, and the idea behind that is every week, one week in every month, you need to accomplish, out of a whole month, one week of effort should accomplish one thing. I think that was the premise. So if you took one day a week, basically, for a month, you should be working on that goal. Um and because you break the year down into into these chunks, uh, and it's kind of that 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 uh, mechanism. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Um, well, we could wrap up there, or we could talk about the four day work week quickly. I haven't read that article yet, but I've got two minutes, so let's let's chat about it. Generally speaking. Sure. Um, well, I've just been seeing some stuff about it. I, I do want to dive kind of deeper to see what models people are talking about with the four-day work week, whether that's still working 40 hours or whether that's working fewer hours. So I think there's a really big distinction there. Um, but it is um, interesting to see these kind of small pilots popping up of businesses trying out, you know, cutting off Fridays of the week. Um, or, you know, one day a week for employees to see what it would do, lessen burnout, potentially improve productivity. People are saying um, all of these um, obviously give people way more flexibility um, and more of a break. Um, so it's an interesting experiment. I don't know. Um, yeah, I, I think it, to me, it really depends more on how many, how many hours of work get done and then, um, you know, it's such a white collar work thing too, because uh, in terms of working fewer days a week, it's not like, you know, I think about, um, you know, people in the medical field or other professions who might work like a few days a week, but they're like 12 hour shifts or, you know, work that's more shift based or not, not salaried um, is often not uh, 40 hours. But anyway, that's, those are kind of my thoughts. I just so, really want to learn more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm going to be careful what I say because I'm actually going to be speaking on this in next next month mm-hmm. uh, at an event. But there's a couple of things that I think about. So, so one thing is I I don't really care about how many hours in a week someone's working. Um, per se, uh, and I say that in the sense that I think you need you need to be balanced. I think you need to be healthy. Um, but I think it's all about being results oriented. So um, in, in, in giving people work to do, and, and I do it with my teams now, um, there's something to get done. You know, you need to get it done. You need to come back to me by when it's going to get done. And how you achieve that, uh, I'm not going to get involved in that. If you, if you want to work, you know, 
one hour a day for a week to get it done and that gets it done or you want to work 20 hours a day for a week to get it done I, i'm not looking at that all i'm looking at is back to are you healthy are you in a good place is a good quality output that sort of thing so so that's the one thing so whether it's a four-day week or a five-day week or a six-day week or a three-day week it, it, to me it, it, sh it shouldn't really matter um i think there, there needs to be um an ex a, a level of understanding this is integrated working in in that you've got family commitments you've got home commitments um you've got work commitments and, and your social commitments and and those all need to tie together and i don't think you can give all of those the same amount of priority and and effort um in, in fact home and family are pretty pretty linked together anyway but i'd say you could you could really only invest in two of those of the three um with your time um and in home, I'm including, and family, I'm including your personal wellness and, and, and all that as well. Um, when it comes to payments and, and all that sort of thing, I think, you, you know, you, whether you're working a five-day week or a four-day week or whatever it is, I think, I think the pay should be the same. I think you're paying someone for what they bring to the table from their experience, their skills, their, their value. Again, you know, someone that's, that's done this for 20 years might take an hour to do the task because they've got 20 years experience um, and the aptitude. Uh, whereas someone that's straight out of university might take 20 hours to do it because they, they need to learn all those things and they need help and, and all that sort of thing. So, so I think that the gist for me is there needs to be boundaries around when is when are people allowed, when are people going to co collaborate on something and and it's and it's not going to cause an imbalance in that thing. So what I mean by that is, you know, I'm working with a US company, you know, it's got, got India, UK, India, uh, US. Um, time zones is a huge thing for us. Like trying to get everyone on the, on the phone in a time that is that is suitable is so difficult. Um, you know, US guys are getting up at seven, are meeting at 7 a.m. to accommodate for India and the UK. Um, India guys are going to bed at, you know, 12, 1 o'clock in the morning to accommodate um, US. You know, those things are, are, are very tricky. Um, and I think that's where you need to give people the flexibility. So if, if a guy is getting up, staying up till one o'clock in the morning to talk to people in the US and in India, he can't expect him to be on at 7 a.m. the next morning to have a call with me in South Africa or, or somewhere in the UK. You know, you got to give people that. So, and, and I think it comes down to treating people as adults. You know, they need to be able to say, I can't make their meeting. It's too early in the morning. I can't make their meeting. It's too late at night. Um, I've got my son to take to the dentist this morning. You know, those sorts of things. Um, so, so I think these experiments are cute, but I think it's just a, um, uh, it's nice headlines in the, in the newspaper. What actually needs to happen is, is the business culture has to change to, we trust you, you're an adult, get your job done, we'll pay you well enough to get your job done so you don't have to worry about being busy or, or working 15 hour days. Um, and, and that should solve the problem. Sorry, I should close the thing because of the, the blower. Does that make sense? It was a bit of a rant. But, no, uh, it, it totally does. I think, you know, the point isn't necessarily if you chop one day off a week that that's going to solve all the problems. There's a broader mindset that is kind of more important. Well, yeah. It, it's the same. It's the same as you know. I worked in some organisations where in, a, in, in the US office you can have unlimited PTO, you know, yeah. paid time off, 
And then if you look at the UK, there's there's a law around how much time off, and in South Africa, there's a law around how much time off. Um, I think the simplicity of it is, you know, a person wakes up in the morning on a Friday, they, they've had a good week, you know, they, they don't have to work that Friday if there's nothing pressing. You know, why not spend the day with the family, take them out, go away for the long weekend if they can afford it, that sort of thing. Have, have that flexibility within the, the organization that they can do that. Mm-hmm. You'd have a, a much more loyal um, employee. I mean, you know, I've done it the last year. We've been, you know, living in Joburg, the, 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 the bush is two and a half hours drive away. And, you know, I've had a good week and we, I've got nothing really pressing to do. And I've said to my wife on a Thursday, let's just go to the bush tomorrow. And we'll leave at two o'clock in the afternoon. You know, I'll get up at five in the morning to knock out anything that I want to get knocked out. And we'll get in the car and it's, and you, you go and you, you, you get this relaxing weekend. The kids get exposure to something and you're in a great state by the time you get back on Monday. And you are thinking about work anyway, because you know what? Work's always on your mind in one, one way or another. And also having the break lets your brain process things and, and, and often will solve the problem. And I always take my laptop with me now or something, Mac, uh, iPad or whatever. So if there is something that, you know, if the kids are sleeping and, and they're swimming in the pool and I'm bored, you know, I can work on something. Um, write some ideas down or whatever it is. So, you know, that, that time comes in, in, in many places, um, mm. but, you, but, but you're empowered to be flexible and to control your own responsibilities. And, you you know, I think companies will flourish from that. Productivity will go up. Happiness will go up. And uh, nothing works, nothing moves faster than the happy staff. Yeah, no, I totally agree with everything you said. I think there's a lot of, just stress reduction that can come through that flexibility and that makes people, you know, nicer to each other at work. It makes them um, more efficient in their work because they're not working in a really poor, burnt out mindset. So um, I think that's. Well, we, uh, we used to call them F, F, F9 days um, where everyone's at the office on a Friday because they have to be at the office. and They've got nothing really to do. So all they're doing is checking the email. Just pressing F9 to send and receive. Watching the clock, the worst kind of work. Just yeah. waiting for exactly. time to pass. Yeah. Hopefully those days are starting to go, uh, you know, be behind us. Hopefully. Hopefully. Anyway, I need, I need to run. I'm late, but uh, it was great to catch up. Yep. Nice talking to you, Ryan. Talk to you later. Right. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Heather Bicknell is our producer and editor. Thank you, Heather, for your hard work on this episode. Please subscribe to the series and rate us on iTunes or the Google Play Store. Follow us on Twitter at the DWW Podcast. The show notes and transcripts will be available on the website, www.digitalworkspace.works. Please also visit our website, www.digitalworkspace.works, and subscribe to our newsletter. And lastly, if you found this episode useful, please share with your friends or colleagues.